Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. This is today's episode. I'm so delighted that you joined us, and God bless you. Today is our prayer. Today, we are in the book of Revelation, and we are going to continue moving forward by taking and discussing today Revelation chapter 7. To do that, I'd first like to bring out a couple of introductory points, and then we will move into actually reading chapter 7 and then discussing it. First of all, let's bring us up to date by a brief review. We have come through the book of Revelation. We saw the worship ceremony and service that was in the throne room in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. We discussed the people that are involved in that the song of the redeemed that sung, the seven-sealed scroll, and the fact that there was a search that went out and only one was found worthy to receive it and to be able to open its seals and begin to execute it. And that is the rightful owner. It is his estate and it is the one who is worthy, the Lamb of God, the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world for the sin of the world, Jesus the Lord. And so we looked at that. We saw how he begins to open the seals in chapter 6. And in chapter 6, we covered all the first six seals that were opened in that chapter. And we noticed and discussed how chapter 6 and the very last seal there, the sixth seal, ends with a question. In the sixth seal, they recognize that the wrath of the Lamb has come, and the question is posed, who is able to stand? Now, let me explain a few things about that before we give the answer from the Scripture and look at what the Scripture tells us to answer that question. First of all, in the book of Revelation, you will see a structure that flows throughout the book. Now that we are in these future events, beginning with chapter 6 and the breaking of these seals, where you will see that there is chronology and then there is a parenthetical portion, almost like a break or an interruption. It is not a break and it is not an interruption. It fills in much of the details about the things that are being discussed in the chronology. So, for instance, in the chronology, in chapter 6, we see the chronology of the first seal through the sixth seal being broken, one after the other. Now, we don't know if they're broken within a very short span of time, if they're broken together, maybe, some of them overlapping one another. We don't know the space of time, but we do know that that's a chronological occurrence, and one will be broken after the other all the way through the sixth seal. Then there will be a parenthetical portion that appears in chapter 7. And then we will get back to the chronological continuation in chapter 8. So, for instance, and this will happen a few times throughout the book. For instance, we have the first six seals being broken, then the parenthetical portion, which is one chapter in this case, chapter 7. Then we will look at the seventh seal being broken all the way through the sixth 
trumpet. And then we will have another parenthetical portion, which in that case will be several chapters. Then we will see the chrono chronology begin again with the seventh trumpet all the way through the sixth bowl judgment. Then we will have a parenthetical portion that is only one verse in that chapter. Then we will have the seventh bowl, and then after that, an explanatory portion, we might call it a parenthetical portion, of two chapters before we draw back to the chronology of the wrap-up and the end. So this is a structure that we will see followed. We have now arrived at the first of those parenthetical portions, which is chapter 7. But I want you to see this. It's not an interruption. It's not misplaced. It contains the answer to the question that was posed in chapter 6. Chapter 7 gives us the answer to that question. At this time, I would like to read Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 1 through the end of this chapter. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed, of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. 
Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So now we get more information in answer to the question posed in chapter 6. We find out a lot of details about this answer. And so let's begin to unpack that. Chapter 7 shows us two key things. First of all, the answer to the question of chapter 6, verse 17, that is contained for us in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 7. Then the rest of chapter 7 tells us of the mission and fruitfulness of verses 1 through 8 of chapter 7. So first, let's consider both of these points. Let's look at the answer to the question. The first thing we have introduced is the characters involved in this answer. First, we are introduced to four angels that are designated to harm the earth, the sea, and the trees. They harm them by withholding the wind and then releasing it at their set time when they will release it upon the earth, the sea, and the trees. They are standing one on each of the four corners of the earth. That's talking about the direction of the compasses, the north, east, west, and south. They are holding the winds, restraining them from blowing at this time. Now, this is a miraculous act of God that would allow the winds to be held anyway, because no human being can do that. This is only being done through the Lord's command and by His power. I want to read a few places in Scripture that might help us understand more about these winds and this situation that we're looking at here in chapter 7. The first place I want to read is Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, it says this, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Now I want to stop there for this particular portion of our series. We may come back to this passage later. But what I want us to consider here is that in Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, it gives us a hint of what will happen at the release of the, these winds. 
They're going to stir up the great sea, for instance. Now that may come into play, certainly later on, in the book of Revelation in a different coming chapter. Then in Zechariah chapter 6, verse 5, we have already read that when we were dealing with the first four seals and the four horsemen of the apocalypse, we looked at that as a possible understanding and explanation about these four horses. Could this be the same as with those four horses? Could this be the same as what Zechariah prophesied about? Possibly because they are called the four spirits there, maybe other angels. We don't know if they're the same or if they're others. Then in Matthew chapter 24, verse 31, I want to look at that one with you. In Matthew 24, we know that Jesus is prophetically speaking about a lot of the end times things that will happen. And in verse 31, he says this, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, this is speaking of a different time period than the content of chapter 7 of Revelation that we're discussing now. However, this does define for us the four winds of heaven. And he tells us it means from one end of heaven to the other. In other words, it gives us the area or the sphere or range of activity. Then in Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 35 and 36, we find a prophetic word here about judgment coming to Elam, which is a portion of what is now modern-day Iran. But let's see what it tells us about these winds. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the foremost of their might against Elam. I will bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and scatter them toward all those winds. There shall be no nation where the outcast of Elam will not go. So here we see that the four winds have a scattering effect. It tells us more about the effect of what will happen at the release of these four winds. It's associated with disaster and judgment. Now, Revelation chapter 7 goes on and says that they, these four angels are told they must delay. They can't release the winds and harm the earth, the sea, and the trees until a certain thing happens. And that is this sealing that God says must be done first. So in this seal, we are introduced to this fifth angel who comes on the scene, ascending from the east, and he brings with him this seal of God. The Greek word used there is speaking of a seal or a signet ring. It also speaks of the inscription on a seal. It's a descriptive or distinctive mark, a token or a proof a token of guarantee, a stamp that is impressed. These are some of the ways that this word is used and what it means. It is also that by which something is authenticated. I want to read a few scriptures here to help us understand more about this sealing 
that is being done of these particular individuals. First, I'd like to start out in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, Paul writes these words, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So Paul writes about seal and tells us that the Lord knows those who are his. In Romans chapter 4, verse 11, we see this word used again, speaking of circumcision that God gave to Abraham as being a seal or a proof of the righteousness of his faith. In 1 Corinthians 9, 2, Paul declares that his seal are his spiritual children, we can say. In other words, he says, my seal is you in the Lord. Those of you that I've been able to witness to, that have come to faith in Jesus, and that are continuing and growing in his word, you are my seal. That's what Paul was saying there. The seal, it's interesting, is used, this word, 16 times in the New Testament, and 13 of those are in the book of Revelation. I want us to look at a few places from the Old Testament as well. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 21. In 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 8, we read this about Jezebel. Now, Jezebel is handling this. In this chapter, Ahab, her wicked king husband, had wanted to buy Naboth's field, and Naboth honored God and wouldn't sell it because of the what the Torah said about their inheritance, and they were not to sell it to foreigners. And Jezebel is the evil queen, Ahab's wife. And so we're talking about Ahab, we're talking about Ahab and Jezebel here. But notice in verse 8 it says this, And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. So in other words, this seal from the king carried weight. It was something that would authenticate and give authority to the document, to whatever it was sealing. So here we see that there was a king's seal. Then in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, we find that the seal became a sign of those that had made covenant, of the covenant that they had made. Then I want us to read in the book of Esther, chapter 8. And this one is very important for us to understand. In Esther, chapter 8, verse 8, it says this, The king, Artaxerxes, is speaking here, and he says this, You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. So this is very important to understand. The king's signet ring, when it sealed a document, that was as good as done. No one could revoke it. It was then law. It had to be done. 
as it was said. So that shows the importance of the sealing of the signet ring of the king. Daniel chapter 6 verse 17 speaks similarly of that as well, because in that passage we see that the sealing ensured that the purpose for whatever that was that was sealed was settled and could not be changed. In that case, Darius had sealed something for Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den and it could not be reversed, it could not be changed. And so that shows us the importance of the seal and the authority that the seal carried. Then in Ezekiel, I want to read this in Ezekiel chapter 9. In Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 1 says this, Then he called out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Let those who have charge over the city draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his battle axe in his hand. One man among them was clothed with linen and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. They went in and stood beside the bronze altar. This was at the temple in Ezekiel's vision that he's seen. Continuing in the reading, verse 3. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called, meaning the Lord, called to the man clothed with linen who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. To the others, he said in my hearing, Go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare, nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women, but do not come near anyone on whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. Then he said to them, Defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. And they went out and killed in the city. So it was that while they were killing them, I was left alone, and I fell on my face and cried out and said, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in pouring out your fury on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, and the land is full of bloodshed, and the city full of perversity. For they say, the Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. And as for me also, my eye will neither spare, nor will I have pity, but I will recompense their deeds on their own head. Just then, the man clothed with linen, who had the inkhorn at his side, reported back and said, I have done as you commanded me. So here we see the this seal of God that was commanded to this man that had the linen and the writer's inkhorn at his side, that it gave these people special protection, and these that were sealed could not be harmed. 
When we come to Revelation chapter 9, verse 4, we will also see similarly and why the importance of chapter 7 is so strong and critical for us to understand. Then in Revelation chapter 22, verse 4, because in Revelation 9, 4, it says this, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So this is another coming judgment down the road, but notice the protection that the seal of God on their foreheads gave to these people, these ones that were sealed in chapter 7. So now we understand the tie and why it's so important that we have chapter 7 and that we understand what it's telling us. Notice also that chapter 9, verse 4 of Revelation and chapter 22, verse 4 of Revelation tie us together, perhaps even with Paul's writing in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that we read earlier. Maybe this is the same seal, but we know that it is the name of God that is sealed upon their forehead in this seal or this signet in some way. In the Old Testament, there was the high priest mitre or what was called the holy crown in one of the scriptures there. And it said, holiness to the Lord. Perhaps it's that. Perhaps it's Yeshua's name. Perhaps it's the name of Yahweh. Perhaps it's God's name. I am that I am. We don't know the exact name, but we do know that it will be the name of God sealed on their foreheads because that's what Revelation clearly tells us. It identifies them as the Lord's. It identifies them as the Lord's. We know from this passage in chapter 7 of Revelation that there are 144,000 Every tribe from Israel, 12 of the tribes, there are 12,000 from each of these tribes. These tribes listed for us here include Levi's tribe and the two tribes that came from Joseph. But there's one that is excluded, and that is the tribe of Dan. We are not told why in this passage, Dan is not included. Therefore, we do not speculate. We do not go beyond what is written. But all of the other 12 tribes, including Levi and the two tribes of Joseph, have 12,000 from each tribe, totaling 144,000. These are sealed for ministry. They end up becoming evangelists messianic evangelists carrying the same gospel of Jesus Christ that we carry today, they will begin to evangelize the world. We will see that later in Revelation, and we also will see the fruit of their ministry later in Revelation. They will function in their ministry during the first half of the tribulation. If you'll remember, Daniel had the prophetic word about the 70th week. We've looked at that 
and it's broken into two halves. There is a first half and there is a second half, three and a half years and three and a half years. During the first half is when we will see the ministry of these 144,000 in operation. That's what Revelation is telling us. Now, beginning in verse 9 through 17 is where we have the information given to us on their ministry and its effectiveness. I want to take a brief look at this. We will cover it in more detail in upcoming episodes, but we are given some information here about their ministry's effectiveness. John now looks way into the future to the actual end of the tribulation period. And we know that because these verses tell us this. So he's actually now reporting on the effectiveness of their ministry as seen past Revelation chapter 8 through 19 at the millennial reign or the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, when he establishes his messianic kingdom, which will happen at the end of the great tribulation. Jesus defined the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, or Daniel's 70th week, as the great tribulation. So this information about the effectiveness of their ministry takes us outside again of the chronological order and carries us to the very end of the 70th week of Daniel at Jesus' return, establishing his millennial kingdom. Now, we're told here also that they have palm branches in their hand. That's another reason why we know that to be true, because the Feast of Tabernacles for the Jewish people is in reference to and points us to the messianic kingdom of Jesus Christ at his second coming. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, they would wave the palm branches and the lulaps. It was a feast of rejoicing, and Tabernacles shows us that we're talking about that time period at the end of the Great Tribulation when they will worship God, sing this song, and wave these palm branches. So these people that are doing this are the fruit of the ministry of these 144,000. Notice that they are not the same as the 24 elders. Remember, we talked about the 24 elders and we saw how those represent the entirety of the royal priesthood of the believer that Peter talked about. These are not the same. These are actually the tribulation saints. These are the ones who will get saved during the tribulation period, during this time period from Revelation chapter 6 all the way through Revelation 19. And these are some, some of these at least, are those who the martyrs were told to wait because more would have to join them. And many of these tribulation saints will join the martyrs because they will be martyred for their faith. Not all, but most will during that time period. Notice it's an innumerable number 
an innumerable amount of people that got saved out of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people also. So here again, we see the 144,000 being Messianic evangelists to the entire world, not just to the Jewish people, although the Jewish people will also be getting saved as well, some of them. So this is telling us about their ultimate effectiveness in their ministry. In verses 15 through 17, we also see the promise of the new Jerusalem in the eternal state. In other words, Revelation 21 and 22, because at that point is when God will wipe away all of their tears and God will dwell with them directly and all of those beautiful things that that passage teaches us about. So to close up, I'd like to summarize by looking at just a few other verses as we draw to a close here and we understand more about chapter 7 and the answer to the question we were left with in chapter 6. Let's look at Psalm chapter 3 verse 8 first. This is the same as some of their cry here as they worship God, these tribulation saints, as well as being joined by the four living creatures and the 24 elders. Psalm chapter 3 verse 8 says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 11 says this, I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. The Lord is the only one who can save. The New Testament teaches us there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. There is only one name, and it is the name of Jesus the Lord. Hosea chapter 13 verse 4 reiterates this, Yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt, and you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. And then lastly, Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 23, Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of the mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. There is only one Savior, and there is only one true gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And these 144,000 spread that message all over the world during this tribulation time, the first half, and they are effective in winning many to the Lord. So chapter 7 gives us the answer to the question posed in chapter 6. And we know from this passage, from Ezekiel chapter 9 and from other places, Paul's writing to Timothy, etc. God knows those who are his. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes. God bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.